Coffee House Shots is sponsored by NatWest, the bank that's helping small businesses build back better and greener. The transition to net zero could create 130,000 new jobs for small and medium-sized businesses. That's why NatWest is aiming to lend $100 billion in sustainable financing by 2025. Find out more about climate support for businesses at natwest.com climate. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Isabel Hardman and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Forsyth. Well, overnight we had a Conservative victory in a by-election. The old Bexley and Sidcup by-election returned a Conservative MP again following the death of James Brokenshire. But the Conservative majority dropped dramatically from just under 19,000 to 4,478. James, is this to be expected in the midterms of a government? Uh, I think it's a decent midterm by-election result for the Tories. I think one of the interesting things is that 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 drop in the majority is caused more by the big fall in turnout than it is by the swing against the the the, the Tories. And and I think that I think the, I think most Tories I've spoken to this morning are are fairly happy about the result. I think the turnout though, lots of people say, look, the turnout is a is a warning sign that our base are in a grumpy mood. They're not feeling energised to go out and show their support for the government. I also one of the other interesting things about this result is how relatively poorly reform did. This is the kind of successor to the Brexit party. You know, Richard Tice, its leader, stood there. You would have thought this seat would be, which voted to leave quite heavily, would have been quite good territory for them. They got less than kind of 7% of the vote. And, or just under 7% of the vote. And I think that is a disappointing result for them in the circumstances. I mean, that will cause some soul-searching because after the month the government has had, you can imagine the kind of the, the, kind of the fun that Nigel Farage would have had in, in this kind of seat in a by-election. And so I think it is a disappointing result for reform. Katie, what about Labour? Keir Starmer didn't go to the by-election, so it, even though... This shows the government's majority falling. Is this something they can really take any sort of uh, any encouragement from? Well, Labour are definitely trying to spin it into a you know a good news for them. So talking about how the vote swing towards Labour shows that Labour, I think the phrase is back in business, and pointing out in a, what is a Tory safe seat, it was never realistic that Labour would win it. So there is enough to show that there is momentum behind Labour. So just imagine if they can make inroads in a seat like this, how they can do in more competitive seats, which are on their target list. Does that work? I mean, I don't think it's a great result for the Tories. I don't think it's a great result for Labour either. And I think that if you're looking at how that vote has split, what's obviously helping the Tories is the fact that some of it's going to reform. Labour have gone up a bit. But I think it's hard to read this as a sign of, you know, Labour fight back. Generally speaking, clearly, if the Tories do find themselves in a position where they are falling behind the polls and voters are unhappy with them, that is good news for Labour. But... It doesn't feel to me this week as though, you know, it's about what Keir Starmer's been doing so much as, you know, low vote turnout does suggest people are pretty uninspired. And for Labour to really make a success of that, they need to, you know, do do something which makes people want to get up and vote for them rather than not just vote for the Tories or stay at home. 
James, we've been talking about self-inflicted conservative messes and there's another one today, which is uh, conservative peer Michelle Moan, who's been accused of sending a racist message to a man of Indian heritage. Apparently, she allegedly told him he was a waste of a man's white skin. What's happened since that's emerged? So the House of Lords authorities are saying that because this this message was not sent as part of her parliamentary duties, it, it can't investigate the incident. Now, Michelle Moan has been attracting controversy recently, and she, she was a curious appointment to the House of Lords in the first place. She's then got caught up in this debate about PPE suppliers and whether people whether people receive favourable treatment or not because of links, something that she denies that she's had anything to do with at all. But there, but there is an, an email saying that civil servants were concerned about how she would react if there was not an update on a situation. And then there is now this. And I, and I think that she is becoming increasingly accident-prone. And now Michelle Moan says that she didn't realise that the person that she was sending this message to was non-white. I think we'll have to see how well that part of her story stands up. Katie, generally, do you think the Conservatives have been able to move on from the difficult month that they've had? I mean, this obviously sounds a bit mad, but in a way, I think if you just look at purely from this week... COVID and the new variants, I think it's been pretty good for Downing Street because we have a situation where they have managed to move on to something else, move away from Tory infighting blue on blue and ultimately COVID is leading the newspapers. If we end up in a situation where the new variant is very serious, where you end up with new restrictions, that starts to change. But I do think this playbook of effectively 5pm press conferences, the Prime Minister sounding authoritative and front pages about where Christmas is a more comfortable territory just on a, a this week basis than last week when it was really about no grip in Downing Street spending rows so I do think not really through their own actions they have managed to move on to a degree and finally James there's a report published today by Baroness Casey on the disorder at the Euro 2020 final just tell us a little bit about what that concludes that that it was an institutional failure of policing that led to the disruption there's one one remarkable fact in this that jumps out to me that the police didn't send presents to Wembley Stadium until five hours before kickoff which considering that anyone who was in London that day could see that that there were people kind of piling on into the drink from much much earlier in the day does seem very very strange and I think it is a real failure of imagination not to realise how many people would want to be as close to the ground as possible and that you needed a visible kind of police presence that could deter trouble before it started from the beginning. I mean, I mean, I think sometimes people can get caught out police can get caught out by unexpected events i think but i think this was a this was a blindingly obvious event that was going to prevent policing challenges and and it was also clear that the when people heard that because of covid restrictions there were empty seats in the stadium people were going to try and get there i mean there are really difficult questions here about how the met got this so wrong which touches on the kind of broader concerns about you know how well led the metropolitan police is Katie, it's not been a good few months for the Metropolitan Police either, has it? Is this another blow to Cressida Dick's already quite weakened leadership? 
Well, in a way, yes. But then at the same time, Cressida Dick remains in place despite, you know, repeated people questioning, um, you know, her abilities in that role. So I think if you look at the various criticisms against the Met in recent months, um, you know, the first, I think the most prominent, which would relate to Sarah Everard and around that, it doesn't to me feel like this is the thing that's going to move the dial, but it does add to that sense. I think one of the most remarkable, uh, depressing things at the moment is that when Cressida Dick's term was extended by two years, the government didn't try and say we've extended Cressida Dick's term because we think she's doing a great job. But all of the kind of off-the-record briefing, and it appeared in so many places that this is not some kind of rogue source, were essentially saying she's been reappointed because we can't find anyone better to do the job and we hope that in two years' time someone better might turn up. Now, that is not a great basis on which to reappoint the head of the capital's police force. I also think that there is a broader problem here, though, which is I think that policing across the English-speaking world is in a bit of a crisis at the moment. In that, you know, every other time when you know there, there would be some Bill Bratton-style American super cop who people point to and say... Hire them, get them in to run the Met. Now, personally, I'm 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 very relaxed about the idea of having a foreigner foreigner run the Metropolitan Police. I mean, the government are not. I think mean, they think there are too many little sensitivities about to do that. But but I think this is a this is a broader problem, and I think it is a particular. I think that you know what we what we wait to see, and and, and may, maybe some of this high intensity patrolling is it. But you know. Um, we saw the remarkable turnaround that you got in urban policing following broken windows. You know, the huge cuts in crime in New York and in London. I think we are waiting to see what the next bit of policing, which can actually really serve to make cities more livable, is. Um, there's a very interesting poll out from Public First that shows this week that shows that people who think that their place, their city, their town or their village is a worse place to live than it was 10 years ago. For over half of them, crime and antisocial behaviour is one of the reasons why. You add that fact to the huge rise in online fraud during the pandemic, and I think that those are the two big policing challenges that, that, that we have coming up, and I think we need to see some better answers from the police about how they intend to deal with those problems. Thank you, James. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for listening.